Well, hello, everyone. Uh, this is uh, Coffee Break with your mayor, Sharon Weston Broom. I'm delighted to uh, do another episode of this uh, podcast today. I'm excited about our guest. We have uh, one of Baton Rouge's own in the person of Van Lathan. Welcome so much, Van, and thank Thanks you for, for doing me. this. You know, um, just to give you a little bit of background about Van, if you don't know, and if you're from Baton Rouge, you probably do know, uh, Van is an Oscar-winning executive producer. He's established television. Um, he is a podcast host. He's an author, a media personality, uh, you name it. He is a McKinley Panther. Yes. And uh, he attended Southern University as well. And so we'll talk a little bit about his career, what he's been doing. But uh, Van, you are here to speak uh, for our Martin Luther King uh, Jr. holiday experience. I would call it that. And so I'm going to jump right in and and talk about that because um, the focus uh, of the panel discussion and that you will be a part of focuses on the urgency of now uh, as it relates to um, the generational issue. And so when Dr. King uh, spoke at the March on Washington, we know that part of his comments, um, uh, he described a fierce urgency of now. And he reminded a nation that was extremely divided at that time, I don't know if we're too far removed from that right now, um, that we needed one another and um, that we're stronger when we march or work together. Um, So do you see this fierce urgency of now applicable um, so many decades later? Uh, Yeah, I do. I I think it's never not going to be applicable. I think that... um, when you are born into the world, um, you start to understand what fairness is, what justice is, and you do that naturally. You know, um, they study this both academically and emotionally. People understand like what it means to live a good life, what it means to live a fair life. And I think uh, for as many gifts as civilization and civilized society has given us, we have to always make sure that we are the focus of it, that the life of the average American, the average human being, that they can live good, they can live free, they can live um, uh, unmolested or, or, or unencumbered by power or by privilege. Um, it, that The struggle for that is eternal. We're never going to get to the end of it. Uh, but the incremental change that you make, you'll always leave the situation better than you found it. I firmly believe that as well. And do you believe that Dr. King's message, while we've established that it's still relevant, the fierce urgency of now and uh, the humanitarian uh, part of that message, do you feel that there um, has been a generational impact? And and let me uh, enlarge on that. Uh, As a baby boomer um, who actually... I'm going to really date myself as a child had an opportunity to see Dr. King. Um, I I find that uh, I don't know if my message and my experience as many other baby boomers had during the civil rights movement is actually 
having the same impact that it had on us with the generation uh, now. And if there is an appreciation uh, for what took place then, and is it connected to what our generation uh, feels they're experiencing now? Yeah, um, I think that Dr. King was a man of his times for one specific reason. What he urged America to do, and what I plan to talk about tonight is the man that I've learned about since I've done a more academic dive into his life, right? But what he urged America to do was have a spiritual and political reckoning about itself. The 60s were the adolescent of America. It was when America was um, awkward, dealing with growing. There were growing pains all over the place. And they were trying to move through that decade uh, with a better sense of itself. And that's what happens when you're in high school, right? You're like, oh, where are these things? Everything's growing. I'm going crazy. I don't know. It's a very tumultuous time because you don't know who you are. Uh, different people are telling you who you are. and You have to figure out what you're going to be. Dr. King was uh, the most important American during that time for telling us what we should be aiming to be um, and also letting us know what we are now. And those issues were very specific to that time. Now, if you look at how or where things are now and, and how we're looking at, at things now, I think there needs to be a reckoning, but of a different sort. I think political power, economic power, solidarity, uh, both culturally, politically, uh, those are things that we need to examine um, in a way that's ro more robust than we even had the opportunity to do in the 60s because we had less information available to us um, and we had uh, we were less perched in different places. So I think uh, he was a man of his time. And what I'm wondering about is who is going to be the man or the sister of this time uh, to remind people or encourage people to use their power to affect justice um, and ascension. And it's harder now because the intelligentsia that you do have is always being countered by misinformation, disinformation, and purposeful, purposeful uh, suppression of information, evidence, and all kinds of different things. So we'll see how we cut through that. Yeah, and I do believe that that is a real dominant issue that we're faced with in this day and age, and that is the promulgation of misinformation and uh, disinformation, the, the whole nine yards. Um, it's very troubling for me. I will tell you that it is very troubling for me. Um, and I do think it means that we have to do a deep dive. It means that we have to um, be more intentional uh, about sorting out things. You know, um, the advent of social media uh, has had its pros and cons. Um, and I think one of the disadvantages is that it's become, for many, this reliable source of information, uh, which we know that that is certainly not always true. And we've seen the impact of that in a lot of different ways, uh, especially even politically, you know. Um, so I, I, be, I believe that we definitely have to have to be cognizant of that. Uh, information stream that we receive. Yeah. My, I was talking about the fact that my, my daddy's family is over from Maringouin, like right over here across the river. Uh, so every time I go in, I check in on my father. He passed away a couple of years ago, but we're all buried in the same place. I've been going out there since I, was, since I was a kid. Well, when you go to Ramey and you fish and you hunt, you do all the stuff that you do, 
you know, you'd be at, back there in the swamp sometimes, you know, doing all of that stuff. That's kind of people we were. I had an uncle who believed that there was a swamp monster. Now, he really believed this, you know, and I, I love this man. Mm-hmm. I love this man. He's still hanging on. He's around. And he would, he would say, look, I know this is a swamp monster right there. I don't know what to tell you guys. We get in the boat. We go back there. We got to bring the 22. We got to bring the 30-06 because the swamp monster comes from out there. He thought it was a monster, mm-hmm. a humanoid figure, mm-hmm. a la Bigfoot or something like that that lived in the swamp. There was a time when he was able to have that thought, and it was like, oh, man, that's hunk. Here's the difference between now. He says that there's a swamp monster on Twitter. And if there are even 20,000 other people who believe that there's a swamp monster, then they start a swamp monster discourse, a narrative. And then they convince other people that there is a swamp monster. And then before you know it, from Maringouin to Chicago to L.A. to Miami to New York, there is a swamp monster. And the only reason why there is one is because enough people believe it. Yes. So that was something that back in the day wasn't possible. It wasn't possible to uh, in, infect people with your particular brand of crazy yeah. in, this, in this type of way. And so you just have to be more vigilant. Uh, you have to be more on top of it. And you have to be more certain in what it is that you do know and be able to back it up with facts. Yeah, and I think you laid it out very clearly in terms of the impact of uh, social media in this day and age. Um, you know, I want to transition a little bit because I I started this conversation talking about um, a little bit about your journey in terms of um, being from Baton Rouge, uh, having a successful career in uh, media, starting out at TMZ Mm -hmm. and uh, then getting an Oscar as a producer of Two Distant uh, Strangers. And I shared with you as we were talking, as you were trying to recruit one of my um, uh, employees to Los Angeles to work, uh, <laughs> that I am often questioned and challenged uh, about talent retention in Baton Rouge. So you grew up here in Baton Rouge, you went to school here at McKinley and Southern. So what motivated you to broaden your borders beyond Baton Rouge? I got a taste of it. I was telling them just before we got here, I always knew, well, before that, I, my mother, and you'll meet her later on, um, to hold on to your, your hat for that. Uh, there was a, a conversation that me and my mom had that I'll never forget. So we, um, we're sitting down, we're watching a movie, Do the Right Thing. And uh, it's maybe like 1990, 91, I was a kid. Um, my mom, we're watching a movie, and and don't judge my mother's parenting. She often, we, we watched the movie. It was a different time. Guys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I remember she says to me, she's she's looking, she can see that I'm into the film. She can, I can understand it. She looks at me, she goes, you know Mookie? The the guy who, who right there? I was like, yes. She goes, like, he, well, he wrote and directed this. And I was like, oh, well, what does that mean? And she goes, uh, well, he made up the story like you make up stories. And then she goes, and then when they're shooting the movie, he stands everywhere and tells everybody what to do. Like he's the boss. Without a missing a beat, I looked at her and I said, they let black people do that? And I never forgot the look on her face because the look on her face was not just like, um, she was sad. She was like, how, she was like, yeah. But she was taken aback that I, her son, would think that. That moment, 
like, not just from me being a black kid in Louisiana, but from a moment of what's possible, sparked something in my brain. And I looked at every single thing I ever saw on TV different. Every time I was watching something, my first thing was, how did they do it? Wow. So then I leave here, I go to LSU Library or I go to Goodwood or I go to the new library, which was basically like the club when they first built it. And I'm getting books on it. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. And, it, and honestly, Mayor, I'll be honest with you, the more information I got, the more it didn't seem like something you could do from here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that changes. And I think that it will. Yeah. I, you know, I have to say um, that I do believe it is changing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not, we're far removed from being LA, but you know, in many instances we have been called the Hollywood of the South. Yeah. You know, we are uh, making some progress in that area. So I would love to see you at some point come back here and, oh, we're, we're and definitely uh, can I drop a name on the podcast real quick. Yes. I'm gonna drop a name on the podcast. Uh-huh. Ladies don't lose it. Okay. I'm gonna drop a name. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm at Linden with, uh, it's, it's in LA, it's a restaurant. My friend invites me to his friends and family and I see Michael B. Jordan there. And so I go over and I talk to Mike for a little while. Me and Mike, you know, mm-hmm. keep in, in contact. I know Mike, everybody around that town knows each other. And he goes, uh, and I, we're talking about boxing or whatever because he was talking about the Creed movie or whatever. And then I was like, yeah, well, I'm from down in Baton Rouge. And, and he goes, Blue Bonnet Road. I was like, what? He was like, Blue Bonnet Road, right? And I'm like, yeah, they shot Fantastic Four here. Oh, okay. So uh-huh. he, so Mike, a fr- another friend of mine, uh-huh. the director of the movie, Josh Trank, another friend of mine, uh, the producer of the film, Simon Kimberg, a dear friend of mine, uh, they know Baton Rouge. They were around here for a very long time. That's a big, huge movie. I got my start actually in the business making two shows college hill which the first season was was at southern university and then after that i did uh uh the reaping here which was a movie we shot here and then i went to la it can should and will happen here in louisiana and the state is so ripe for it that i can't wait i can't wait to spend more time here actually working that's good. That's good. We'll, we will welcome you back with uh, open arms. Now, when we talk about the industry, and this is something that uh, we've had a conversation about here, because we do have some uh, folks here um, who have uh, engaged in the music industry. We have some um, folks, uh, we know that it's a, I would say it's it's a trend of sorts, and that might not be the right word, but we know that uh, the music industry, especially the rap artists. You're trying to say Baton Rouge is hot. <laughs> say it, man. <laughs> Baton Rouge is hot right now. Hip hop. We got Young Boy. Yeah. We got Fredo. <laughs> we got Boosie. We got That's... Kevin Gates. We hot. Yeah. You can say it, man. Yeah, okay. We hot. We hot. We hot. <laughs> That, that was my sanitized version. Right. That was, that was my politically diplomatic correct uh, version. Yeah, we hot here. Uh-huh. And so what we and, and, and to be honest with you, um, a lot of people don't know this, but I've had some conversations with some of the rappers here um, and they have talked to me about their desire to help um, uh, de-escalate the violence that often takes place and is associated uh, with the industry. And so 
How do you think this art form, and I know you're not a rapper, but you're an artist. How do you think this uh, art form can remain authentic and uh, we can continue to appeal to young people, but not ignite these beefs that take place? Whew. That's a deep question. Huh? I like it, though, for a couple of ways. Number <laughs> mm-hmm. one, if it remain, if if a rapper remains authentic, he'll increasingly get less violent as career, as his career moves on. Right. Um, I, grandfather from Carolina Street. I grew up in Gardeer. Uh, my mama from the bottom. Um, North Baton Rouge holds up been around it. If you start there, that's what you're going to rap about. Right. Who died, who went to jail, all of that stuff. That's what's going to happen. Now, the question is, after you go gold, after you go platinum, after you move on, after you've been to France, Japan, all of that stuff, what do you rap about then? It, then you're making a choice. If you're making a choice to continue to involve yourself in the glorification or uh, the degradation of, your com- of the violence in your community, the degradation of the women in your community, then that's a choice. You're making an artistic choice. I'm not saying you're the worst person in the world, but I'm saying you want your art to be filthy. You want your art to be violent. It's no longer really about what your life is like. It's about what you want to put out there. And so I personally think that the way to do that is to encourage these brothers and let them know it's okay to not have somebody want to kill you. It's okay to not want to kill someone. It's okay to have stability, spiritual peace, and all of that stuff in your life. And once we normalize that, I think the music changes, and I think they'll want more and better for the communities that they come from. So uh, I'm told that you uh, host Hip Hop Homicide? I hosted Hip Hop Homicide, yeah. And tell me, what was that about? That show was about the epidemic of uh, murders and rap. Mm -hmm. And we were here. We were here in Louisiana. We did... um, Magnolia Shorty, we did Soldier Slim. Uh, we were in Dallas. We were in uh, uh, the, the we were in the Queens. Uh, we were in Florida for XXX and We did one in all over the place. We covered a bunch of different rappers. And this is what I learned from that show, Mir. This is what I learned from that show. And a lot of people that listen to the music don't get to have this experience. I talked to eight mothers. Eight mothers. Some of these murders are years ago. Some of this stuff is 20, 25 years. I talked to eight mothers. They're never the same again. It's not music for them. It's not the street. It's not the game. It's a baby that they changed, that they kissed, that they loved, that they held close to their heart. It's a kid. It's a person. It's a human. They never never are the same again. It's even worse for them because they have to hear people talk about their children all the time. They're, they're stuck in traction, right? They're stuck in traction because it, it's, a, it's always a subject about how the person that they love most in the world died. And whereas everybody else talks about the lives and the violence in hip hop as if it's a video game and people cover it from places and they don't go. We cover the show and we put that show out. That show was for consumption. That show was a money-making entity, no doubt about it. But at the same time, I was in O-Block talking to King Vong's mom. I was in Dallas talking to Mo 3's mother, talked to Soldier Slim's mother, Magnolia Shorty's people. These are people. Right. And these are people that had given birth and nurtured and raised some of the most talented people in the world. They had a way out. And uh, a lot of times their past couldn't be escaped. Mm 
So I want people to really like when they're talking about all of this stuff. What I what I learned is that violence is torture, and it doesn't have to be that way. So the question became for me after that, you know, and even here in Baton Rouge, there was just a point around 19, 20, 21, people just started getting killed. It's just they and I'm and I'm like, you know, it's it's even I I get flabbergasted now. we just kind of get used to it. And as I become an older man, what I want to do is have a presence here and have a presence in any place where there are black people and underprivileged people to try to move that along. You yeah. know what I mean? And and we need you uh, to help with that. I will tell you this. Um, whenever there is a homicide, um, I get a phone call. It can be 2 in the afternoon. It can be 2 a.m., uh, and I get a phone call. And the dispatcher, I can tell, regrets having to make that call. And then I ask a few questions about what they know, um, who was involved. They tell me all the details, you know, the age, the race, who was uh, involved. Um, and then I try very hard to uh, be consistent in making a call to those parents that are involved. And I have to tell you that I I feel like lost sometimes in terms of what do I say other than the traditional, you have my prayers and condolences, you know. Um, and, and they are received uh, from the family members. But deep down inside, I feel like it's so much more that I need to give them you know they certainly want resolution um they want closure uh, but that at that time all i can give them is i'm sorry for your loss you have my prayers you have my condolences if there's anything i can do for you let me know but that doesn't bring closure for me uh, for me i want to see it stop uh, and uh, I believe if enough of us uh, certainly get involved with the cause and, and do what we can, and we realize, and this is much longer, this is a whole nother podcast, yeah, right, 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 right. you know, when we talk about systemic issues that have caused violence, and, you know, as I often say, we can't police our way out of this. It's, 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 it's a real deep issue, um, but I do think that we have to be intentional uh, about addressing it, and we can't ignore it as a community. Um, they're telling me my time is up, but I'm going to, can I go a little longer? I think I can. I can do whatever I want to do here. Yeah, I'm the mayor. The mayor yeah. Yeah. So um, I have a, a couple of more questions. It's not every day that I get you on a podcast and you are the consummate podcaster. I podcast uh, a lot. <laughs> I podcasted today before I got here. Did you? Yeah, podcasted from my hotel room. Okay. Yep. And what is your uh, most recent podcast about? Or you have several going on. Some I have a bunch of them. So, like, the Ringer Podcast Network, shout out to Bill Simmons and everybody over at Spotify and all my podcast co-hosts and stuff. So, I, you know, I'm in a situation where I could talk about whatever my interests are. I talk about movies. I talk about sports, politics, um, Things inside of my wheelhouse, outside of my wheelhouse. You know, you do mental jumping jacks. But earlier today, we podcasted on Higher Learning with the amazing Rachel Lindsay. We talked about Nick Saban's retirement. Oh, it's holiday here in Baton Rouge. I, 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 I enjoyed that. Uh, we talked about Lil Nas X. We talked about the debate last night between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Um, 
we talked about how black people are reacting to the Democrats in the upcoming election and what's the right way to hold elected officials accountable, but also not drift over into making Trump seem like a legitimate choice. Just sometimes the conversation, we also talked about Stephen A. Smith and Jason Whitlock. So, um, <laughs> sometimes the conversation is about a conversation. Yeah, it's about yeah. how we talk about something. So yeah, yeah. it's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. I was going to bring up something that was, you know, I have, uh, family in Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago and I have some cousins who are like my sisters. And so um, mostly every night we get on the phone and we talk about any and everything. We talk about what's going on in Chicago. We talk about what's going on in Baton Rouge. Y'all party. Y'all just yeah, yeah, we just, mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we're talking about the latest thing trending, like um, what is cat uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like Cat Williams yeah, on, like, on the club so they asked me, they right. asked me. I'm like I'm not following that I don't even know what's going on with that all I know is he's talking about everybody but I'm like I have no idea what's going on with that right. but they ask me questions like that you, you know? know what the most hilarious <laughs> thing in the world would be the most hilarious thing in the world would be let's say a day or two after Club Shay Shay it's on IG Mayor Broom comes in she's sitting at her desk and she's like I want to talk about a very important <laughs> happening right now. I want to talk about the Cat Williams interview on Club Shay Shay. I guarantee you right now you go viral. 10 million at the least, man. Because I want to know what you think. I want to know what the leader of a major American city thinks about Cat Williams dissing Kevin Hart on Club yeah. Shay Shay. So, you know, they, so I started looking into a little bit of it, but I don't, I don't have that kind of bandwidth. Yeah, yo, you, know? yeah, you got a lot of important stuff to do. more important things to do. Mm-hmm. But it was so funny. They were like, are you keeping up with this? You know, I'm like, I haven't, I don't even know what's going on with that. So uh, I said that to uh, talk about, you know, uh, my life beyond, but we always talk about different uh, issues. And so the fact that you're having a number of podcasts certainly fits into that category of interest. You know, people are interested in about any and everything, uh, and especially when it's it, when it's trending. So a couple more questions and then I'm gonna let you go. So tell me, um, you had a vision uh, to do um, movies, to get involved in media at a deep level. You told me the transformation that took place when you saw Do the Right Thing. Um, and how you went on to pursue uh, your dream. Since then, I'm sure you've had a lot of things to think about in mm-hmm. terms of pursuing that dream. So if you were going to give uh, another uh, person, uh, a young person like you were, some advice in terms of following their dream and their passion, um, what would be maybe three points you would share with them? Um, three things. The first thing is be brave, and I'll tell you why. You come from this city, everybody becomes a lawyer. When they, wanna, when they leave Southern, everybody becomes a lawyer or a nurse and all of that stuff. And you're like, okay, well, I want to make movies. And sometimes it's like, ah, where are you going to do that at, right? That little thing that sparks your brain, I don't care if it's – if you like graffiti, if you like whatever, human beings don't respond to anything better than other human beings that are good at stuff. Whatever that thing is, good at doing jumping jacks. You could post a jumping jack video right now on Instagram, and if you can do a thousand, it's going to it's 10 million people gonna watch it. So don't be ashamed of what you love. 
Don't be ashamed of the quirky part of you that's a little bit off off kilter, right? That's the first thing. Be brave. The second thing is go. Just do it. The most important thing in this entire thing is reps. It's how much you do it. Kanye West comes to TMZ and people think there was some, I don't want to describe myself in this way. I'm uh, sorry to my mother and my grandmother. I'm not trying to be a jerk. People think there was some flash of genius in my response to him. The most important thing about that was that I was comfortable on camera. And the reason why I was comfortable on camera is because I was in that room every single day. When I first got to TMZ, it was okay. All right, they're going to come to you. All right, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> funny. Funny. Okay. Funny. Black. Uh, poignant. Do it. Do it. But after a while, you're on camera. The camera's not even there anymore. You got to do it enough. So whatever you're doing, do it enough. If you're going to play basketball, man, you got to shoot enough shots. If you're going to be a gamer, my little brother out here, Gavin, uh, my dad's youngest boy, wants to be a gamer. Gavin, game. I bought you the PlayStation 5. I love you, little man. Game, game, do it. Um, and the third one is be prepared to sacrifice. Like, be prepared to sacrifice. And let me tell you what my sacrifice was for people who don't know. I love this place. If you're around me and you talk about what's going on in Baton Rouge and you talk about Baton Rouge like it's a place to leave, I'm going to check you. Thank you. <laughs> I love it here. Love it. And from my experience, the group of guys that I grew up with, remember, I'm of the Ryan, Cl I'm of the Ryan Clarks, the Marcus Spears, the Boosies, all of this. When we take what we do away from Baton Rouge, it resonates. There's a realness and authenticity and a style about people here. This is a special place. You guys, I know you hear me and you don't think it's true, but it is. It's a special place with special people that have a special view on life. I love it here. My sacrifice was leaving. My sacrifice was not being here when McKinley built the fence or missing Southern's homecoming or missing TJ and the Perfect Ten parties or missing nightlife, upscale, like not being around, you know, if you can't go to Bella Noche, where do you go? <laughs> I had to find out in L.A. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was my sacrifice. My sacrifice was going somewhere else and having to, to to build a whole new thing and not being able to go to Rainbow and get a get a po' boy. Yeah. That was my sacrifice. So it's going to cost you something. It just depends on what you're willing to pay. Wow. That was that was really, really good. Those three points right there. Uh, be brave. Do it enough. And you're going to have to make a sacrifice. Well, I, you know, I was going to ask another question, but that was so good. I think that was. You want to stop while I'm, while I'm ahead? It, no, stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was so good. The only other thing I was going to and I was like, you know, this is a podcaster, this question right here. But I'm a big word person. Okay. I love words, right? I love to write words. I love to read. I, I just like. Every year, I come up with my word for the year. It often evolves into more words, right, for the year. And I'm, I know I did not, uh, this didn't originate with me. I mean, there are a lot of people that say, this is my word for the year. Right. So, uh, I have a couple, but my main word for the year um, is abundance. Mm. And I tell you I, where I believe that was birthed from is that sometimes I believe we as humans limit ourselves. Uh, 
You know, we put ourselves in a box and we can only uh, we only go towards what we can see. Mm. And what we can see is oftenly just oftentimes just right there. But right. it's so much more. Right. right. So that's my thought process. Everything is big mm-hmm. this year, you know, for me, abundance, big. And I'm not just talking personally. I'm just talking in every area, professionally, for the city, you name it. Abundance big mm-hmm. so would you have a word for this year oh, I definitely have one um, intentionality the more years I get on this planet the more I want people to know exactly what I'm thinking because I want to be intentional about it um, I don't want there to be any misgivings about what I love what I don't where I'm going where I've been and that takes so much discipline. Yes. It takes discipline because it, it it takes away your ability to be reckless. When you're young, you're reckless. I go out there, I just don't give a, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> but for me, I'm to the point now to where every impact I make has to be surgical. I have to really think about it. And so I have to think about who's affected, who it helps, who it hurts, um, and, and what my intention is. And that's going to help me choose the projects I want to do, the conversations I want to have. I'm in the mayor's office. A little boy from Gardier never thought that he would get here. You know what I mean? But it, what gets you here is intentionality. Cutting the fat out of your life and, and going towards the meat and, and being a little healthier with it. So I think, honestly, I think abundance is on the other side of intentionality. That's good. I, I, that's I, good. I, I, I do. So yeah. that's my thing. And one of those yeah. things intentionally I've been for a long time I was afraid to fly so I didn't come back home as much but I've been here to like four times in the last two months wow and the more I'm back the more I feel reintegrated to my community here and I'm intentional about that so I appreciate you guys bringing me down to um to talk tonight and I'm really excited to talk with you guys well we're just you know, we're just enthused about you uh, being here and uh, enthusiastic about you being here. And listen, Baton Rouge loves Van Lathan. Oh, and awesome. Van Lathan loves Baton Rouge. Absolutely. So I do think this is a good one to end on, intentionality. So thank you all so much for uh, joining Van Lathan um, with me on Coffee Break with the Mayor.